Coffee Break, Pop Break's monthly TV podcast. I am your host, TV editor Alex Marcus, and I am joined as always by Pop Break editor-in-chief Bill Bodkin. How are you doing today, Bill? Oh, you know, doing good. Uh, I would like to formally announce that I am rebranding as Bill Bodkin Plus. Uh, (laughs) It's a popular move today amongst the kids, and I feel like uh, my, you know, my just get my uh, mainstream cred up, which I sorely, sorely need. So Bill Bodkin Plus, right here. Now the big question though is, is that will your price point be a six ninety nine, or are you going to go for like the twelve ninety nine? You think you make it enough of a value proposition for the kids? Uh, given my own self worth and my own value, I'm going for ninety nine cents. So I am affordable to everyone. I'm going in bargain basement, sweeping the nation. Uh, I think you're selling yourself too short, Bill. I think what you should do is is do a steady like nine ninety nine a month, but pull an apple and give it to everyone for free for two years. Um, I'm also going to put a U2 album in everyone's life that they probably aren't going to like. <laughs> and you know how you love every Tom Hanks movie? I'm going to make one you're going to hate. So <laughs> Or not even watch. So uh, it's not an episode if we don't make fun of either Apple TV or Peacock. True. And we'll get into that in a little while. First, we have to say hello to our resident TV columnist, Josh Shanaki. How are you doing today, Josh? I'm doing pretty well. I thought, Bill, that you were going to rebrand the, the New York Giants as New York Giants Plus. I think that's maybe the, the secret, since Saquon Barkley apparently is not uh, able to do anything this year. Well, that offense. I, I heard that they. Uh, I heard that they actually um, that they already rebranded as New York Giants minus, and so I think that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're uh, we're actually going to rebrand like Washington did as just a New York football team, and uh, we're just gonna we're just not even going to pretend we're the Giants this year. We're just gonna just we're just telling you exactly what we are and not promising a damn thing. Uh, that game was brutal, but I have to say it's it, and it's also weird having uh, football back on television. I heard that they were actually going to just, instead of having any more home games at Giant Stadium, they're just going to put a big screen in the center of the field and play my Giants for the rest of the season when they're supposed to be games. They probably would get more fans. (laughs) And, uh, you know, listen, maybe we can get Rick. I mean, if Ryan Reynolds could get Rick Moranis out of retirement, maybe the Giants and uh, Rooney Mara's uh, (laughs) great uncle can uh, get us us, uh, Rick Moranis back. Well, now that he's on the market, who knows? Um, but uh, before we get into any of that, and don't worry, we'll talk a lot more about football and Rick Moranis, I promise. Uh, we're going to be talking today about uh, HBO's new series, We Are Who We Are, breaking down the surprise news about a long-running TV franchise, and talk about who won the month in streaming. Uh, before we do that, though, I wanted to ask everybody what the best thing they saw on TV this month. And I'm going to start with Josh this week. Josh, what was the best thing you saw this month on TV? Okay. So this is a follow-up to my pick for last month. So uh, last month I had said that Steven Universe was my pick of the month. Um, That's right. I am happy to announce that I have uh, completely binged through that and am now on the epilogue series, Steven Universe Future. Um, But the thing that really really impressed me this month was the um, the TV movie that takes place between the the main series and epilogue series, uh, which is Steven Universe, the movie. Not, not the most, you know, flashy title, um, <laughs> but it is a really wonderful um, movie and a really good way of um, capping off the story from the original series. But the thing that's mind-blowing about it for me 
is how much it calls back to like movie musicals throughout the the century like the the beginning is like all of these um red curtains just like going back and forth and then it has like the storybook opening like in the old um disney animated movies like once upon a time and it just it goes on from there and there are so many fun little quirky twists and if you i'm i'm definitely not the most literate when it comes to to movie musicals but i i know enough that i was able to catch the references um and so that was really charming and even though it's definitely a follow-up to the main series it's also really accessible and a really self-contained story and um i mean if you are a fan of the original it, it includes some really amazing payoffs and twists that i did not see coming um and i do not remember laughing so hard um for a long time and it's 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 really good and uh i just I was learning that um they were apparently going to do a, a one-night theatrical sing-along through fathom events in march but then uh, the world went upside down and that never happened. So I, I like to think that um, eventually I can access that alternate world where um, I could go be the, the lone adult there um, singing my lines out to all the songs from Steven Universe the movie. Well, I don't think you'd be the lone adult just based True. on what I know about that show. <laughs> most, <laughs> most adults that I know that I like, like that show. So uh, it's, got a, it's got a major appeal for, for the kid at heart as well. It's so good. And I, I think I mentioned for the, the original series that it's so easy to watch because the episodes are only like 11, 12 minutes each. Um, and so the movie is definitely um, has more room to go about that. But that's the, the impressive thing about uh, all of the different um, series and, and the movies that it's such efficient storytelling that it packs more emotional weight in 11 minutes than most shows do in 44 minutes. And it's it, it, it seeing it, it made me want to go back to like all of the Arrowverse shows I watched in the CW. It's like, just cut out all the fat and just stick with like the emotional stuff. Like, how is it that, you know, Steven Universe can do this many emotional gut punches in 11 minutes. And it takes you a whole season just to get Oliver Queen to admit the same thing over and over again. So. Yeah, 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 his, yeah his, his, his admission, he's like, I'm really good at shooting arrows. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, it was, <laughs> my jokes are not getting it today. <laughs> it's okay, you got time to warm up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's just an incredible franchise. It's really exciting that I'm so happy that it got to end on its own terms and really take its time and kind of do everything that that Rebecca Sugar, the creator, wanted to do with it. And it's just, I think it's going to stand the test of time as a really important, like, landmark and achievement of animation and children's programming. And I think, uh, you know, I think it's going to be doing a lot of work for a long time to come. So I'm happy to hear that you're finally catching up with it. And uh, despite the fact that I have not watched a considerable amount of the show, I've watched enough of it to know that it's it's worth listening to Josh over here and uh, taking his recommendation to heart, checking it out where you can. Where were you watching it, by the way? HBO Max. So uh, when we first um, started doing some uh, some uh, our talking points on HBO shows and I, I loaded up HBO Max, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to keep this. Uh, Steven Universe is the sole thing that has kept me on with HBO Max. <laughs> 
from Legendary to HBO Max. Uh, to, I mean, from Legendary to Steven Universe. Yeah. They've got everything on that uh, service. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's going to be my winner for the for the month, but uh, I guess I'll get into that later. <laughs> uh, Bill, how about you? What's the best thing you saw this month on TV? Well, I'm going to go and keep in the HBO realm. And Alex, I hope I'm not stealing your thunder here. But uh, the best thing I watched all month was Lovecraft Country. Uh, I believe that premiered right after we did our last episode, our August episode. Um, It's like one of the best shows I've seen this year for sure. Um, It's a show that I I did unfortunately get a little bit behind on, but I'm all caught up except for this week's, which was episode five. Um, It's one of the most wild and creative and impactful shows I've seen probably since Watchmen. Uh, I don't know if I would put it on the Watchmen level yet, but um, from the opening scene of the premiere episode, it has you by the throat of this is something you've never seen before. This is going into, it's going to take a lot of risks and most of those risks do pay off. It centers around a character named Atticus Freeman who is a big fan of pulp novels, uh, whose father has gone missing, father played by Michael Kenneth Williams of The Wire and Boardwalk Empire fame. So he, his uncle, played by Courtney B. Vance, and uh, his childhood friend, Letty, played by Journey Smollett Bell, who was in Underground and going back to the 90s, like was in the original Full House. Um, they go to uh, <laughs> f- find him, and... Uh, a lot of weird, scary shit happens along the way. And if you've seen the trailer, you kind of know what that involves. A lot of supernatural, spooky stuff. But besides being a good supernatural, spooky series, um, it is also a show that tackles so many big real-world issues. Racism, sexism, um, a lot, which we haven't dove a little too much into just yet. Um, wartime PTSD um father-son relationships uh, mother-daughter relationships a lot of family drama uh the music is outstanding blending stuff uh from ripped right out of post-korea korean war uh, era in into and also injecting stuff like rihanna um and marilyn manson into uh the soundtrack and as kind of odd as that sounds it actually works perfectly uh, this is a show I would recommend to just about anyone. It's so good. It's genuinely frightening at times. It's generally funny at times. It's also r- tremendously acted. Uh, the lead actor in it, who was in The Last Black Man in San Francisco, and I'm I Jonathan, Jonathan Majors. Jonathan Majors is now in talks to be the next big bad in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So, like, People are taking him real seriously. This is his breakout moment, and this is the breakout for Journey Smollett Bell, who I think is the best part of the show, acting-wise. I think she is absolutely outstanding. This is her star-making performance. She is going to be, and rightfully so, being so much, because she is just absolutely terrific. Yeah, and she's great in um, Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey, which came out earlier this year. Yeah, I, I missed. I did not, uh, as everyone knows who's ever listened to a podcast, I'm, I don't see a ton of movies anymore, but yes, she was. That's mostly great. Well, it, it is available now on HBO Max, I believe. So if you want to check that out over there, you can watch it free. Um, 
and yeah, she's she plays Black Canary in that. She sings, she kicks ass, she has the best dramatic arc of any of the like the uh, main group of ladies who are at the center of that movie. And she's fantastic in it. So if you like what she's doing in Lovecraft Country, you should definitely check out her work in that movie. Um, if you like her work in that movie, definitely check out Lovecraft Country. I've been watching this too, Bill, and I kind of I agree with most of what you're saying. I think it's not quite Watchmen. I think that kind of sets oh, no, a bit no, no, of a no. high expectation no, to I even mean, it, like it, bring it, that into things. Well, I'm putting it to the extent of I think it's the most creative thing, like visually. Uh, since Watchmen, it's the, a show that I've run to to watch outside of Watchmen. Like since then, like there's no series that has captivated me much this year to be like, oh damn, I have to, I have to watch it. Or if I miss it, I'm like, oh, why'd you miss it? You know what I mean? Like it's must watch. As the Watchmen for me was last one, and I think it like like Watchmen takes a lot of creative risks. I I don't I don't put it on the same level as Watchmen because that did so much more. I mean, although this, you know first season of Lovecraft isn't over yet. Um, but yeah, it, it has similarities. It's not, it's not on the same level, but still a, a very good show. Yeah. For me, this was definitely like in contention for best thing that I saw this month. Uh, but it ultimately, I just, I feel like it, it had such an incredible pilot, uh, that really just wowed me. It would, if it were just a little bit longer, it would probably be one of the best films I saw this year. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then, and then it just kind of. Uh, like settled down into a bit of a lower level of quality in my opinion where there's some really fun things that are happening I think the two main performances like you talked about are excellent and I think that they have such incredible charisma and just chemistry with the two of them and I think you know some of the supporting cast is certainly better than others um uh, Michael Kenneth Williams is on there uh who many people might know for his Omar from The Wire uh, he's kind of like, <laughs> if there's a good show on HBO, there's like a seven out of 10 chance he's on it in a supporting role. Yep. Um, and he's really, and he's, he's good. He's really great on the show. Um, but I think that it is ultimately like every episode sort of becomes a bit of a different sort of genre exercise. And I think that's fun, but it also kind of makes it so that way you kind of lose the thread on like the ongoing narratives, uh, to a certain degree. Like it feels like they're spending a lot of time focusing on a lot of interesting details on one side of the show and then on other parts of the show they're just really kind of like and then this happened and we're over here and you're just like wait what why how what's and it's not like in a point of where it feels like oh it's supposed to keep you off balance it sort of just feels like they weren't interested in in sort of doing all of the work to make it coherently make sense because their interests are elsewhere and I support that I like how ambitious it is but it is I almost wish that it was more of just a straight anthology series as opposed to um, having this overarching narrative. Like, that's the weakest part of the show for me um, right now. But we'll see. You know, it's, we've still got half a season left, so it might it might pull itself out of it from and, uh, and rise to that level that I was hoping that it could be after the first episode. Yeah, that first episode was – that was my biggest fear about the show was it's like – it raised the, it set the bar so high and did so many great things. Like, would they be able to sustain it? That was a big question. And I, I, so far, I don't know if they, they, I don't know if they have been just yet. Yeah, but it's, it's been fun. Like they have an epi- like one episode is sort of like 
about werewolves, sort of. Another episode is, is like Freemasons, and then you have a Haunted House episode. You have a Indiana Jones-style episode. And, like, I like that. I really enjoy the kind of, like, flipping through all these different B-level, like, B-movie-type genres and, like, using those as an excuse to talk about these, like, sort of really complicated issues around race and lineage and, like, social justice and all of this stuff. And, and so I, I like the idea of the show a lot and, like, the project that they're setting out to do. I just wish that they could, like, make the pieces fit together a little bit better or just don't try to make them fit at all, you know? I hear that. Um, but so that didn't get my vote for best show of the or best thing I watched on TV this month. Uh, what did is a show that didn't technically air this month, um, but I finally caught up with it. Uh, and it's a show that uh, regular listeners to this show might be aware of because Matt, uh, who Matt Taylor, who was on our show last month, talked about this. It's a show called Rami, which is a Hulu original series, uh, won an Emmy last year for directing is up for some Emmys again. Uh, by the time that you listen to this, uh, you will not know whether uh, <laughs> they've won because the Emmys are this Sunday. So you can tune in to find out how it did. But uh, yeah, it's Matt is right. Uh, it's fantastic. I'm kind of grateful that I waited to watch it because I think you kind of need to be in the right headspace for this show. For people who don't know, it's created by Rami Youssef. Uh, this season, most notably, uh, had Mahersha Ali, two-time Oscar winner, uh, Mahersha Ali, um, as a prominent guest star as uh, as Rami's new sheikh, um, and who is a spiritual leader in the Muslim faith, for people who do not know that. And um, yeah, it's just a show that's all about kind of like, it's, it's about uh, the Muslim experience in the United States. It's about kind of how to, how, people feel as they're kind of like wandering the earth searching for meaning um which is like the sort of kind of like big heavy stuff that it deals with but it also uh in a more broad way which is what I found so accessible about it is just a show that really kind of has an intimate look at the lives of people just trying to get through their day and trying to be the best versions of themselves that they could be even though they are flawed as we all are flawed and I think that that is just a really tremendous, um, it's a tremendous project for a creative person to kind of go uh, about pursuing like this, this interest in trying to put a lens on other people's experiences and humanize them and, and make them into a, into a type of, uh, like a type of like um, creative prompt that we can all kind of get around and like see ourselves in, in different ways. Um, it's like a really great opportunity to build empathy for people who, if we just saw them on the street, we might make a snap decision and and just walk by them or choose not to see them at all. Um, this show gets into the lives of people with uh, significant disabilities. Uh, the, as I said, the the Muslim community, the immigrant community, um, you know, uh, the complicated um, relationship that a community like that has with uh, things like homosexuality and race and gender and just family dynamics, which are the things that I think are the most relatable in the show for me um, and for a lot of people that I talk to. Um, it just does an excellent job of being empathetic towards its subjects and really shining a light on their experiences and, and making the audience really consider what that is like um, in a fully like detailed and in-depth way. 
that is also can be funny. It can it can have a kind of awkward sort of uh, uh, sense of humor about it. Um, Rami himself uh, he uses humor as a bit of a defense mechanism sometimes, um, and certain you know situations that he gets into are, are definitely humorous uh, and heightened to some degree sometimes. But the the raw like uh, emotionality to the show is really rare and really unique, and just the way that. Rami as a character and many of the, sh- the characters on the show as a result are just on this spiritual journey that doesn't feel forced and it doesn't feel you know contrived it doesn't feel uh generic it feels really specific to who these people are but in a way that somehow makes it much more accessible um and much more uh relatable um so yeah I really really recommend this show I think everybody should check it out first season was very good this season definitely takes it up to another level and um, I want to approach this show um, thoughtfully and with an open mind. I think that anybody would get a lot out of it. Are you guys are you guys familiar with the show at all? Have you watched it? He's a he's Jersey guy, or is or is it set in New Jersey? Oh, it's well, it is set in New Jersey. I'm not sure if that's literally where he's himself from, but that is where his character is from. The first you want to you know that the first time I ever heard of him was and you're just gonna be like Jesus Christ, Bill, why do you know this? Um, let me just look up where he's from. I think he's like he was born in New York. Yeah, he went to Rutgers. That's why. Yeah, mm. and he was raised in Rutherford. Okay, that's why I know. Uh, yeah. He had his first big role on because I was in a doctor's office watching this. Was oh, am I not? In a show called See Dad Run. And he played Kevin Costner with a K, and he played the best friend of the lead character, played by Scott Baio. That's the oh, first God. time I ever saw him, because all of a sudden I saw him, I'm like, why do I know that guy? And I looked it up, I'm like, Kevin Costner, that's why. And I'm just like, <laughs> oh my God. Thank God he has gone on to make uh, a very important and smartly written comedy, uh, because everyone should put Scott Baio in the rear view. Um, if you did not do that at least a decade ago, I actually do want to check this show out because I'm a sucker for anything in New Jersey. Um, and also I've just heard nothing but good things and like how it's genuinely funny yet very heartfelt and I'm all about that. So I, uh, yeah, I definitely at some point would want to check this show out. Yeah. It sounds yeah, like it's, it's a good watch. Yeah, it really is. I think that I think Josh, you would also really like it. I think that you would appreciate a lot of the stuff that it's trying to do. It's just it's an incredibly thoughtful show, and it's, it's thoughtful about things like purpose and meaning and spirituality and how all those things connect with the sort of like like just like you know emptiness that we can often feel as just young people uh, like walking the world. Um, especially worlds like the one we're living in right now. It just, it, it really, it's doing things that other shows just don't do. Like it sort of like, <laughs> uh, no offense to Zac Efron, but um, his show Down to Earth, which we talked about on Goodbye to All That a couple months ago, um, is also this sort of idea of like, yeah, let's just kind of like figure out how to have a more spiritual, fulfilling uh, experience with nature and stuff. And it's just like everything that this show isn't, which is like, you know, so surface level. And so just like, I'm a good person and I want to be a better person without actually challenging anything about who I am really or anything that I believe in or any of my actual flaws I just want to seem like I'm being a good person you know like that's kind of what that Zac Efron show is all about <laughs> um but I still can't believe you did a podcast show. on that 
<laughs> that's not what this show is about at all. It's about really kind of digging into the ugly parts of yourself and exploring that um, in a way that is uh, married with this conversation about, you know, God and spirituality and religion and family and culture and how all of that kind of like mixes together in a soup and, and kind of makes us who we are and, and also can be, uh, it can be a great resource on improving yourself and also a great detour and how to avoid your actual problems. And I thought that was very interesting too. As a person who personally is not a believer, I still think that um, I got a lot out of this show and I think everybody uh, would. So yeah, definitely, definitely one of the best shows that I saw this year. Uh, best show that I saw this month for sure. So Rami, check that out. And also uh, a shout out to I May Destroy You. That's a show that aired over the course of the whole summer. I talked about it in a couple of episodes ago, a few months ago. Uh, it really ended strong. It was great throughout. It's excellent. It's probably the best series I saw this year. Uh, it really, really incredible. Um, Michaela Cole is just truly next level God, <laughs> creative force. Uh, the stuff that she tackled on that show is just the stuff that everyone else runs away from. And she managed to tackle it in a really honest and human way that just really blew me away. Um, so if you haven't watched that, all of that is available on HBO Max or HBO Go or wherever you get your local HBO. Um, you should check that out. Yeah, Christian, who is our our other Pop Break staff member in Iowa, um, recommend, he said that was the best show he's seen in years. Um, I also want to make a side recommendation off of off of Rami because one of the executive producers is a comedian named Gerard Carmichael, and it, his stand-up should be on HBO Max. He is hysterically funny and super smart and a very unique presentation of how he does comedy. So draw Carmichael, if you've never seen his stand-up, I highly recommend it to both Alex and Josh. Like, I think you would definitely get a, definitely find him both very funny and really insightful. He serves as an executive producer on Rami. Yeah, the Carmichael. Uh, so he's actually a guy that I've that I've been aware of for a little while. He, I completely agree with everything Bill's saying, and also he had a great, great sitcom. Maybe the last truly great. Uh, yeah, like, for, sitcom. And it ran, I thought it was going to be a summer replacement, and it ran for a number of years. Yeah, no, it was three se- It ran for three seasons. Um, it's like available now on Hulu, so you can, if you're, you know, you watch Rami, you take a look. You can then watch at least. The third season is on Hulu. I'm seeing here that the first two se- and the first season is on Hulu. It seems like the second season is weirdly not on Hulu. Um, that's well, weird. On, yeah, so you can't NBC. watch the second season. It's NBC, so I'm wondering if it's going to move to it's doing the transition to Peacock. Uh, possibly. It is a it is an A24 um, produced show, so I don't know necessarily how those rights fall. It aired on AB, on NBC originally. But um, but yeah, it's you can watch at least the first season and the third season on Hulu. Um, and you know you can seek out the second season. It's just fantastic. It's like a real. It's it's basically like a modern day All in the Family. That's really what it is. Um, and it does it exactly as well as you would hope a show like that would do. Um, really really great. Uh, the cast is is across Stacked. the board, and it's just one of. And it's just one of those shows where just like uh, All in the Family, it was just, you know, they would take an issue and they would build a sitcom premise around it. And then they would just talk about how they felt and thought and it would be hilarious and emotional and great. And it was just a, you know, a a multicam sitcom with a live audience and everything. So, yeah, do really, really recommend that, too, if you haven't seen it. And that's just called The Carmichael Show. Correct. It ran for three seasons from 2005 
2017 or 2015 to 2017, I should say. Yeah. Um, but okay, cool. So now uh, we're going to kind of take a break from what's going on on what's currently airing on TV and talk a little bit about what's about to no longer air on TV. And that's the big news. Keeping this month. up with the Kardashians. Finally, I get to talk about <laughs> the show I've seen almost every goddamn episode of. And if you think I'm joking, you're out of your mind. I absolutely have. Thank God. Something. Well, it is true. It is true that the big news, one of the big news items this past month was that keeping up with Kardashians after 20 something seasons uh, was finally coming to an end over at the E network, at least for a little while. Um, Apparently the way that those deals are structured is uh, they kind of can't take that show anywhere else. Um, So if they have, but if they ever want to do it again or do anything like it again, they have an open invitation to do it over at E. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I would not take that much stock in the fact that that show is gone forever, but it is gone for now. Uh, but another, but a show that is technically going to be gone forever, um, is a show called The Walking Dead. Uh, big news. Nobody was really expecting it. Um, a very successful franchise for AMC, maybe the only show people watch on AMC anymore. Um, even though their, their ratings certainly are not nearly where they were at peak walking dead um several years ago uh but yeah that's the that's the news item that we're gonna be talking about the fact that the walking dead is ending it was announced uh they said of course there was like season 10 was supposed to finish up at the end of the year or at the end of the spring uh last last spring and it could not due to covid so uh they are finishing up that season uh beginning in a few weeks and actually ended up extending the the episode counts by a couple of episodes so i believe there's going to be like six episodes instead of two episodes to finish out that season um and then season 11 will be their final season uh but season 11 will also be a 24 episode season that will air over the course of two seasons so this news is really letting you know that in at the end of 2022 uh the walking dead will be over of course uh if you're worried uh there will still be plenty of walking dead left on the air on amc including fear the walking dead the prequel spinoff that aired that's been going on for a number of seasons also the walking dead world beyond which was supposed to be a, a another spinoff series and then the apparently uh, was so bad that they decided that no it's actually just a limited event series that will run for two seasons and then go away um because they made a two season order up front so they had to produce those two seasons but apparently it's a really bad show so it's pretty striking that they would uh shift and say like oh never mind we're only gonna be a two season show but that's i guess a conversation for another time also uh rick grimes played by andrew lincoln once the star of the series uh, we'll still be getting his spinoff movies. He's going to have a series of spinoff movies that will be airing on AMC at some point mm-hmm. in the future. And and uh, if that's not enough, uh, there will also be an anthology series uh, launching in about a year or so called Tales of the Walking Dead, which will be just a, a collection of short uh, stories all about uh, like disconnected uh, from like our regular characters about life in the world of the Walking Dead. And uh, if that's not enough, um, <laughs> they did also announce that the series, uh, some of like two of the series stars, Daryl played by Norman Reedus and Carol played by Melissa McBride, will be getting their own spinoff that will be airing in 2023, uh, and that will include the uh, the current showrunner for The Walking Dead proper um, and many of the other cast members. So 
with all of that said, I'm curious, starting with Josh, uh, how are you feeling about the fact that The Walking Dead is over, question mark? So I definitely am not as invested as Bill is, so I'm definitely excited to hear what Bill has to say. Um, oh, you might regret that. Because I have uh, I have not seen a single episode, and I, I don't think I will. Um, but Alex, just hearing all of the content you, you listed for it just goes to my belief um, that The Walking Dead as a series is just obnoxious <laughs> and that it got <laughs> so wrapped up in how popular it was. Like, let's do a thousand spinoffs. Do people like them? No. Are they going to be good? No, but we can make them. And so I am just, like I said, I, I have I felt no... like I was ripped out of like minutes from a boardroom. <laughs> just read this. <laughs> like, I, I have no like... Like I, said, I, have, I have no connection with this show other than just always like seeing the ratings were like, really? People are really liking that that much? Like, I guess. I mean, zombies are cool, but it, it, it doesn't surprise me too much that it's canceling. Like looking at the, the ratings numbers, like it, it peaked at um, like 17.3 million viewers in 2014, but it's, it's gone down since that. So that the, the latest season premiere was only... Well, only it was four million, which is still, you know, still pretty good for a lot of shows. But I mean, I think they've totally oversaturated their brand. And I think I mean, I can't keep track of all the stupid spinoffs and the TV things. And I just think it's obnoxious. And I think they just pull the plug on all of it. So uh, <laughs> good riddance for me, I guess. But like I said, I don't <laughs> particularly have any connection to it. So uh yeah, I, I want I want to hear a good old fashioned Bill Bakken rant now. It I do have to say before we get to Bill, it is I think you highlight something that's very uh, true, which is this feels kind of like hu the husband walking, getting coming home to the wife and saying, "Honey, we're getting a divorce." Um, but by the way, I'm moving into the basement. Like that's kind of like what we're dealing with here. <laughs> it's like I guess the show is canceled, but um, we're we're still not being rid of Walking Dead anytime soon. So, uh, Bill, <laughs> what do you think about this? The one time I decide not to have a drink on this podcast. Oh, God. So where do I start? I've had the unfortunate pleasure of reviewing The Walking Dead for the past few years after our first TV editor, Luke Calamar, um, had to resign from the site because he went to go work for ABC television. Um, and thank God that Josh Taylor came along and has relieved me of those duties. Um, I will say this. Uh, I, The Walking Dead the first season I still will hold this. I will still defend the first season of the walking dead because I think it was a very ambitious move by AMC to take uh, a, a horror, a subgenre of horror films and put it onto TV. We had never seen a full zombie apocalypse TV show on regular cable. And that first season I thought was so creative and it was audacious and it was scary and people were always talking about they're like oh after you know sunday night is you know garbage night for most people so people were in new jersey at least so people were like oh my god i was getting like the the chills walking out to get my garbage you know it was i was so freaked out that a, a, a walker would come around and it really was a special show and it probably was the the halfway through the fourth season where everyone where they got through their first big human villain that everyone was like, Oh, this show's heading downhill fast. And 
it's really a show that has gotten so lazy and so formulaic um, that it's like, and, and, and I've, I've proven this theory that it's basically like, yeah, say we were going into a normal Walking Dead season. We would have started in like February, right after Super Bowl, and we would have the payoff in the, pre- the premiere episode of the cliffhanger that the fall season had left us with. And it would be a huge, big, grandiose episode. And we're like, whoa, what's going to happen next? And then the next eight episodes, then episodes two, three, four, five, and six would be mindless slogs of side adventures that lead nowhere and like trash soap opera uh, dramatics, which even some of the better actors had a hard time just pulling off just terrible writing. Merritt Weaver was on for one season and she was given just dreadful, dreadful dialogue. And she is an Emmy award winning actress. And, um, and then what would happen is halfway through episode seven, the penultimate episode of mid the half season, you would get some like, Oh my God, something big is going to happen. And then in the final episode of the half season you get this massive cliffhanger like oh my god i need to know what happens wash rinse repeat and that's been what it has been for all close to six seasons of doing the same exact thing characters get killed off at, at random and it's just like they kind of toyed with a lot of characters like glenn was a big one where they like is he dead and then they're like oh fake out he didn't die but then they kill him off again and you're like they made every mistake possible going forward this show because they got really lazy with the writing. And it's now, it's just like, it's not a zombie show. It's just like people are shit. They just want to kill each other. And zombies are used like for a cheap scare. And the reason this show is ending truly is because they keep losing cast members. I mean, like Andrew Lincoln is getting the movies, but Denai Guerrero, who was a huge star in the show, She's gone. I mean, she she won an, she won a I believe she won a Tony for a play she wrote and starred in. And then yes. And then she was in Black Panther and everyone's like as a Koye and everyone's like, "Oh, yeah, she should be a star." And like, well, how do we <laughs> how do how do we how do we miss this? Oh, because she was on The Walking Dead. And then Lauren Cohan left to go to Whiskey Cavalier, which uh Matt Marissa and I had a great podcast about because there was a scene where there was an exploding tampon, legitimate explosives built into a tampon. And I thought Matt and Marissa were both going to die laughing when I explained the scene to them. But she's gone. Everyone's a lot of people have left and it's just a boring slog of a show to watch. But it is the Walking Dead shows make do exponentially better ratings than anything else they have. Like, Better Call Saul doesn't even, like, sniff what The Walking Dead shows do, but obviously is is a better series than anything The Walking Dead shows are and have been. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, yeah, it, it's like we're never going to get rid of it. And AMC is doing themselves doing themselves no favors by just hitching their wagon to this one thing, because at one time, AMC, remember, it was Mad Men, uh Breaking Bad and it was The Walking Dead and that was like that was the holy trinity for that and everyone's like wow they were able to make these three huge franchises happen at the same time and now it's just like instead of trying to make a great show like Mad Men or another great show that isn't in the Breaking Bad universe they've just hitched themselves onto the very accessible 
kind of getting old and, and kind of a joke popular thing that was is and was zombies. Yeah, and the I mean, show I just blows. And the show it. just blows. So that's the big thing. <laughs> it blows. It's not fun. It's literally boring to watch now. I I can't disagree with any of that. Um, I will say I think like it's important to remember that AMC they get a lot of credit for uh, Mad Men and Breaking Bad because those were maybe like the two best series of their era, um, and they happen to be on AMC. It's important to remember that um, Mad Men was a Lionsgate product, uh, produced show uh, that was shopped around to a bunch of networks, and AMC finally was the only sh- uh, network that said yes. Uh, basic, and the only reason why they agreed to do it was because they were like, oh, well, we show classic movies, and this is kind of like a classic movie, so sure, we'll do it. And with uh, Breaking Bad, it was a Sony-produced uh, series that also got chopped around to a bunch of places and uh, no one really wanted to take a chance on it. And they were like, well, you know, we do crime show movies all the time. So yeah, maybe we could do that with the, with the dad from Malcolm in the middle, I guess we could give it a shot. And, uh, and then the people who made that decision uh, promptly left the company um, and the, they have never been able to uh, come anywhere near reproducing that success. They did try for many years to create yeah. a companion series for both of those shows, and they utterly failed. Um, and the only thing that they really ha- were able to develop after that was The Walking Dead. And so I think that they honestly, at a certain point, just realized, like, we can, the, the landscape is changing. Cable is, like, cable channels are dying left and right. If we want to exist, we need to kind of like pitch our, t- our our wagon to something, and we need to create a brand that we can that can live on um, in this changing market. And they said we're just going to be the Walking Dead show. It's the only show that we've successfully developed on our own. Uh, it's the only show that has potential to create spinoffs and things like that. So we're just going to be the Walking Dead network, and that's what they are now. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't think they very much care if it's not that good. And the, the biggest reason why I wanted to talk about this cancellation is because it's not even really a cancellation when you look into it more deeply. Like if like, I've followed some of the reporting out of like places like the Hollywood reporter and things like that. And basically all this is, is an excuse to get around contracts. (laughs) Um, they have no intention on getting rid of the walking dead. What this allows us to do is basically when The Walking Dead first started, things like streaming rights and things like that were all very, very different. Um, and the whole entire industry was different. And so the finance, and when you couple that with the fact that the longer a show runs, the more expensive all of its parts get uh, because of the way that contracts just continue to inflate over time, uh, especially for actors and people behind the scenes, producers, directors, things like that. So they get to have just a fresh uh, fresh start contractually with all of their talents. And that it's notable that, you know, two of the leads of The Walking Dead and the showrunner are being are moving over to this new show that's going to be starting exactly one year after the original show ends. So it's really just a way to uh, to continue on in a more uh, beneficial contractual environment, honestly. Um, it's kind of, and maybe they can get a few good um, press uh, rounds out of it by being like, oh, it's the finale of the flagship series, you know, but they have oh, no yeah. intention in, divest, in divesting from the Walking Dead brand. There's going to be a Walking Dead show on uh, as many months of the year as they possibly can. Uh, and uh, 
and we're going to be stuck with it for a long time until AMC uh, stops existing as a network, I think. <laughs> well, the thing is, is crazy is like they actually do horror really well. So like there was they, they were coupling. I remember the when the Walking Dead first came out, um, like their big oh, God, I never oh, fright. I want to call it like it's not Fright Fest, but it's something like that uh, that they do every Halloween. And it, it does really well. And I was like, why don't they do, I was just thinking on while you were talking, I was like, why don't they do like just more horror stuff? And then I remember AMC Network's own shutter. It's just like they should have instead of just making this random horror streaming service, you should have put like the Tales from the Crypt, like or, or like uh and all these other shows that you remade. I do Tales from the Crypt. What the hell did they do? We interviewed the cast. Oh, I can't remember. Um, but it was Giancarlo Esposito was in it. Um but yeah, they like move some horror stuff over there. Instead of like glomming off of like what BBC America does, like where they were just airing um, Killing Eve in like yeah, syndications. Well, the the future very mel- very well may be that they will do more cross promotion stuff with with Shutter and things like that because AMC Networks is a small. It, for people who don't know, uh, that is the kind of corporation that owns AMC and BBC America and IFC. Um, and uh, I believe one other network in addition to Shutter. Um, uh, Sundance, I believe. Yeah, Sundance. That's and the show and was called. It was Creep Show. Was the show. And over the last over the last few years, they've slowly started to kind of blend their 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 network brands into uh, just uh, a one stop shop for the best content on any of the channels. So, like Bill said, you'll get you'll get a simulcast uh, premiere of an episode of Killing Eve on AMC and on BBC America. You'll get uh, uh, maybe a, a show on IFC channel and AMC at the same time. Like you're, you're seeing that more and more um, as these networks kind of have to pull their resources together so that way they can actually stay alive. And so I think it's very interesting. There's been a lot of rumors over the years of uh, AMC networks being sold to a place like Apple or Hulu or just places like that who might want uh, their library. Well, um, Apple that has Apple would be smart because you could. Yeah, it hasn't it there. hasn't quite pulled, panned out yet, but it is it's in the air. It's it's very difficult for a network uh, or a, a collection of networks like that that are just completely based off of you know cable subscription fees and things like that as people keep canceling cable and. It's it's very interesting. We're, this is actually kind of a good pivot point um, to go into streaming wars, which is our next segment, um, because it, I think that for a long time, at least me, maybe foolishly, uh, as an active young man, uh, thought that oh, the rise of streaming means like oh, we're going to shift away from terrestrial uh, TV, and if we're doing that, that means network TV will finally kind of like it's an aging dinosaur that only old people watch, so it will kind of be like put out of its misery as the as the, all of the corporations like adopt streaming platforms. Uh, what has actually happened is that the streaming platforms have kind of slowly started to replace the cable networks, and um, and network to broadcast network TV is kind of still chugging along, but uh, the cable uh, networks are in a state of severe crisis um and they are shrinking every day and amc networks is definitely uh a very good example of of how those networks which once had so much 
so many resources and so many eyeballs are really starting to contract um, under the pressure. So it'll be interesting to keep an eye out on that and see how things develop. Um, I would not be surprised uh, by 2023 if AMC had not just fully rebranded itself as the Walking Dead Network because <laughs> they are like two thirds of the way there at this point. Absolutely. But um, I guess, Josh, do you have any uh, final thoughts on this before we move into Streaming Wars? I mean, I, I think it's somewhat fitting that a show about zombies is never really going to die. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's all I got. Well played. That's uh, a perfect way to end. All right, well, uh, <laughs> speaking of things that may never die, uh, we're talking about Streaming Wars next, which is our monthly segment uh, where we go around the table and talk about uh, who, what streaming uh, service won the month. Uh, this is based on uh, current offerings that networks uh, that the streaming networks have, as well as press releases and announcements and things of that nature. Um, so, Bill, uh, who do you think had the best month in streaming this past month? Well, Disney Plus tried to play a, uh, play a, pull a fast one on us by dropping the Mandalorian trailer today and try and sway my opinion. Uh, but I am going to go with, um, I think I'm going to go with HBO max. I was on the fence about Hulu because you, you know, you have a lot of big, you had woke and pen 15 and a couple other uh, big shows coming out this, this month. But I feel like HBO max is starting to finally get the traction of the buzz around people being like, especially after, you know, American pickle class action park got a lot of traction, uh, now raised by wolves and we're seeing a lot more promotion for that. You're seeing more and more people being like, I really want to see, I, and, and the word of mouth from people who have HBO max, I enjoy it personally. Uh, obviously Josh does. And Alex, you, <laughs> you, you put it over a few times is very positive. So people want their HBO max. And I feel like this deal with, uh, fire, you know, Am I was going to say with fire stick with Amazon, I should say. And, uh, Roku, I feel like it's going to come to it's going to things are going to come to fruition soon. And I think this is going I, I have no this is just my gut. Um, and I feel like it's really going to blow up because I feel like we're now starting to see all this like kind of top flight content. It, it, we kind of got through like the early jitters of who has it, who doesn't, what's going to be on and what's not like we didn't get the Friends reunion. Uh, but I think we're starting to see some really good stuff. And now that they're HBO is also like, hey, did you miss this on Monday? Well, guess what? HBO Max. Like we just had two big series premiere on, on Monday, the third day. And we are who we are. And it was just basically like, hey, if you're not watching it on Monday, you know, it's on HBO Max the very next day. So I feel like it's pretty good or, you know, internal marketing. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm going to give it to HBO Max this month. Yeah, well, and there was also news uh, that HBO Max is considering a, uh, a lower cost ad supported tier that would be coming out this spring. So that is another kind of, I don't know, that is either a point in the favor and that it's kind of uh, ex could help expand its reach into the market or uh, maybe a point against your case that uh, if they were doing really well then um, they wouldn't need to offer that type of tier. Uh, so well, I, think, I, think, I think you're going to get something that's interesting because it's like there's there's definitely more stuff out there for HBO Max right now than there was. Um, and I think that it's a really, if you, you have the service, I think it it's a good service. I like it. I'm happy that I have it. Uh, but 
this summer has been a really rough summer for them, and they literally fired all the executives in charge of HBO Max because the launch went so poorly. And they put, um, and they put like a lot less of, than a, sorry, they put a lot of good people in there though. They put a lot of good people involved. Like uh, was it Casey Bloys is is going to be a big part of it going forward, and she's got an amazing track record. And I, I look at maybe the price point lowering is you have to be realistic. You're the new kid on the market and how many people are unemployed how many people can't afford hbo how many people are canceling stuff like this like you have to be realistic at the same time too so yeah it might it might be a um short-term wave of the white flag but a long-term victory for them so i'm not sure yeah i guess we have to see um i definitely think that the fact that casey boys has been put in charge makes me feel a lot better because he oh, yeah. has done such fantastic work over at hbo over the years he's really kind of like the steward of that brand for so long which has I mean, been able to and it was notable when they were developing hbo that they kind of overlooked him and put these other people in charge like bob greenblatt and kevin riley who are are titans of network television um but definitely not representative of kind of like the HBO ethos. And uh, I think they kind of tried to bring some of that broadcast TV atmosphere to the network. Um, and I don't think it necessarily had the desired effect. So I'll, I'm very interested to see where things move forward. Certainly as the best place to get HBO content, it's uh, undeniably uh, a great service um, and it has a great library. So um, yeah. Josh, what do you think? Um, what's the, who won the month for you? Uh, being being the Star Wars geek that I am, I would love to say the Mandalorian trailer swayed me to pick Disney Plus. Um, it did not. I I still feel betrayed by uh, the decision to put Mulan for thirty bucks on Disney Plus. That still baffles me. And then and, free in December. Yeah, and and then plus all of just the the really questionable and unethical decisions Disney made to make Mulan. Like, uh, I, I, it was the first of the, the live action uh, Disney movies um, that I was really looking forward to. And then all this came out. I'm like, man, I don't know. Like it, it would have come down in December. I'll watch it, but I don't, I don't know if I'll be happy about it anymore. Seeing all the, the, the crap that they went through to make it and then to shove it out for $30. So Disney Plus, uh, uh, it's one more month than I think any other show in my book or any other streaming service in my book, but it, I, I can't, I can't give it the win. Um, I have to go with, with Bill and, and put HBO Max, um, for, for all the reasons that Bill said, and just, um, thinking of the shows that have really been gaining traction and garnering a lot of discussion, um, uh, you you guys mentioned Lovecraft Country, um, and obviously we're going to talk about We Are Who We Are, um, and Raised by Wolves is another show that's been um, really making headlines now. So I think, and I know some of those are um, not HBO Max exclusive as much as HBO shows, but having all of that through that streaming service is really impressive, and it's I think it's dominated uh, the discussion. The only other series that I've really seen break through that uh, is the second season of The Boys on Amazon. But um, other than that, like the the HBO Max um, and HBO shows have really been uh, dominating um, every site that I've looked at. And then on top of that, just thinking of um, Raised by Wolves as you know, bringing Ridley Scott, this legendary filmmaker, to their service is a huge, huge grab. Um, and then for We Are Who We Are to have um, 
the director of um, Call Me By Your Name. I'm not going to try to pronounce his name because I would butcher it. Um, <laughs> but uh, just having such really like star-studded um, directors and, and filmmakers coming to the, the the small screen is is impressive. So uh, I I have to give it to HBO Max also. I don't, are you gonna gonna make it a trifecta, Alex? Well, I think you guys make a pretty compelling case, but I, I can't I can't agree just because you're giving HBO Max a lot of credit for HBO's work in this conversation. And I think that you got to <laughs> and that's 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 a part of it. I mean, obviously, subscribing to HBO Max gives you access to HBO content, and that's a big deal. Um, so it's not necessarily wrong. But if you didn't subscribe to HBO Max and you only had HBO, you would still be getting pretty much all of the best things that you guys are talking about. So there is that. And I think that Disney, uh, I agree that the ethical concerns about what uh, they did to produce Mulan are very troubling um, and makes you kind of like second guess a decision to pay $30 for it. I think that the price point of $30 proved to be a huge success for them though. Uh, because I think for, you know, single people looking at that as a, as a, the price of a movie ticket, that seems like a lot. Uh, especially if you think that like most of the, like VOD online, it's pretty much like a nine ninety nine price point. The PVOD price point has kind of become a $20 price point so going $30 big deal I think a lot of families looked at it like it costs a hundred dollars to go to the movies if you have two kids and you're bringing and you even more if you're getting popcorn and stuff so $30 great discount and um it did make 33.5 million dollars for Disney plus uh on it just as opening weekend so I think that that might be the biggest success story of the streaming wars this month but I'm going to be generous and give it to CBS All Access because we learned this week that CBS <clears throat> All Access <throat> is about to no longer exist uh, and become quickly become the Paramount Plus, which I think Bill and I have already discussed is the best name that they could have chosen. So very oh, excited by such, that. Such brand <laughs> recognition. Uh, mountains, <laughs> mountains of entertainment. Josh, when you yes. think, uh, when I say the, the phrase mountains of entertainment, what, why do you think it relates to Paramount? Ooh. Surely it can't be something related to mountains and, and, and Paramount. No, mountains. it's because it's, their logo is a goddamn mountain. What? Yeah. No. Which is a thing uh, yes. that everyone knows. Everyone is aware of that. Um, so makes sense for as a catchphrase. <laughs> um, but yeah, I felt like, you know, CBS All Access, at, yeah. as now it is reaching its deathbed, it's never going to get the prize if I don't give it to it now. So why not be generous um, and say that it's a great service. It has a lot of great uh, Star Trek content. You could watch Star Trek Picard. You could watch Star Trek Discovery, the third season, season of which starts next month. Uh, Star Trek Shorts is apparently a really fun uh, animated show by or one of the Oh yeah, sorry. Below deck. Star Trek Shorts is is uh, something else which I watched and is not that good. Um, <laughs> and it's something you can wear uh, every day. It's yeah. Star Trek Shorts is like this thing where it's just like imagine if you bought a DVD and you got to like watch the kind of like remember when like Marvel 
uh, when they would release like the Winter Soldier, and then they would be like, "Oh, but also here's this short about like what Peggy was up to, like on a mission." And it's, like, yes. ten minutes, like, that's what that's what Star Trek shorts is only um, within the Star Trek universe, uh, and with no one that you know, like it's all just kind of like extra like side people uh, that aren't even on the show. So I wouldn't recommend that. But Star Trek um, uh, Below Deck is a show that a lot of people seem to really like. It's animated. Uh, it's available uh, to watch now. It airs weekly. Um, it's created by one of the Rick and Morty people, and it has sort of that kind of vibe to it, but like maybe slightly less uh, R-rated um, compared to Rick and Morty. <laughs> um, so people are really liking that. Of course, you could watch every season of The Good Fight, which is excellent. There's that um, Ladies Who Murder People show, which I don't know. Uh, I guess that might be good. I think Lucy Liu's in it. <laughs> uh, Jennifer <laughs> so Sure, sure. Um, oh, also, so. I guess, also, I guess you could watch all the Big Brother since I see nothing but, uh, but that on so- Twitter and social media all the time. Is like, people love their their Big Brother, man. And I guess you could you yeah. could watch a lot of that on Access, and that's you can, you pretty can. wild. They also <laughs> they also recently got a bunch of their Viacom uh, siblings uh, networks uh, added as kind of like a soft launch for what will become the Paramount Network. Uh, shows from MTV and VH1 and and BET and Comedy Central have all gotten little hubs. Um, uh, There's about like a dozen or so shows in each of the hubs um, and that you could check out, including Drag Race is a a big get for CBS All Access. And then they have movies, you know, they have all the screen movies. They have lots of interesting movies on there. A bunch of stuff that might have been on Showtime is moved over to CBS All Access. So it's an okay service. And it's and it's also cheaper than a lot of the other services, I think, the price point with commercials is like $6.99 a month. So yeah, I think that it is, it's existed for a long time. You can also watch a bunch of live sports on there, which is not a lot of streaming services have. So that's cool. Um, Especially like March Madness. And I think they have some football stuff. So, you know, it's a good service, especially at that price point. There's stuff to watch if you're interested in that stuff. It definitely doesn't have everything. It's not a Netflix, but I think uh, we need to kind of pour one out out of respect for CBS All Access before it becomes Paramount Plus. <laughs> I, I definitely, you know, that, that that's a good call, man. I mean, the, CBS has had some good stuff on there. They've they've really it, it, that was almost the Star Trek streaming service. That was just like that was the one thing keeping it going for a while. But it's like and and then oh, I forgot it. Um, Twilight Zone's on there too. Yeah, yeah, two seasons so, of Twilight Zone. I heard the second season's better than the first. I know people were pretty disappointed with the first season, but I heard the second season uh, kind of uh, it picked it up a bit. That's good. I haven't watched it, though, so I can't really say. But yeah, there's good stuff on there, and it's price. Nice. And I'm sure that the price will go up once it becomes Paramount Plus, because people love the Paramount brand so much that they will definitely spend $10 for it. So, you know, get in while you can. <laughs> And uh, if if you didn't hear that news, uh, just to be clear, uh, they announced this week that uh, coming in the spring, CBS All Access will be rebranded as Paramount Plus, uh, and it will have a significant higher presence of Paramount Films, Paramount Network shows, uh, MTV, VH1, BET. There's going to be original content, kind of like the way that... Um, Disney Plus works now where there's like there's Marvel content and there's Star Wars content and there's National Geographic content. 
they're going to kind of do the same thing with CBS and MTV and BET, where they're going to have original shows like made by those networks that will air exclusively on their service. So, um, yeah, it's kind of it's interesting news. It, it was it was inevitable. Viacom is kind of the only major conglomerate that hasn't gotten a streaming service off the ground. So we sort of knew this was happening, but it makes it official. So, you know, we'll have just one more uh, subscription service to uh, to subscribe to. But uh, who knows? Maybe if you get in early on CBS All Access, you might get a discount rate uh, when it trans transfers over to Paramount Plus. I have no inside information about that. Uh, that could be completely wrong. What could end up happening is they could automatically start charging you more without your consent. It's entirely possible. So don't take my word for it. <laughs> oh, I could totally could see that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's streaming wars. Uh, now we're gonna go to our new show spotlight this week. We are this month rather. Uh, as we've teased throughout the episode, we're going to be talking about Luca Guadagnino's uh, We Are Who We Are, uh, starring Jack Dylan Grazer, who many people might know from Shazam, um, and also the It films, uh, and Chloe Sevigny, and uh, newcomer Jordan Christine Siamon, who I think is tremendous on my show, but we'll get into that. Um, this series, for people who haven't watched it, it's, it's a six-episode limited series. It's sort of like an extended movie Um more than it is a, an episodic uh, TV show. And it's about a young boy who's kind of a freshman in high school. His mom, who is a lesbian and married to a, a lovely woman played by um, Alice, uh, Alice Braga. Um, many people might know from The New Mutants if you went to theaters to see that the last couple of weeks, which if you have, um, I don't want you to listen to this show. So please uh, go away. <laughs> she was also in Queen of the South. Uh, so if you watched that one, well, I think she was also in uh, that's on USA. And I also want to say she was in Birds of Pr No, she's going to be in The Suicide Squad coming up. Yeah. Yeah. So she's she's an actress that people might know by their by her face, if not by her name. Um she plays uh, Jack Dylan Grazer's stepmom, I suppose, um, it seems. Uh, and yeah, so uh, his his mom, played by Chloe Sevigny, is uh, a commander in the military. She has just taken over a base on, the, on a coastal town in Italy, and he has come along with her. Um, and the first episode that we watch is kind of like them moving into their house and him sort of, you know orienting himself in this new world um, around some of the other teens that are that live on the base and uh, it's very different from the sort of show that we usually watch on this podcast and I'm really curious what you guys think about it Josh I'm going to start with you what are your uh, impressions of we are who we are oh well Alex I saw you tweet about this so I already have a sense of of how you feel about it <laughs> um, so please forgive me when I tell you that I hated it Oh, Josh. I, I did. I hated it. I found, I, I think uh, Jack Dylan Grazer is a wonderful actor. I loved him in it. I loved him in Shazam. I hate his character so much in this show. I find him so obnoxious and just irritating. And I just, I couldn't deal with it. <laughs> Not for me. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you don't have to apologize. Uh, you're just wrong. Bill, what did you think about it? <laughs> I'm of two minds of this show. Um, the first, what coming, like, I, because I have my, as a television viewer, then I have as, you know, we're here to, like, you know, 
comment on television. And when I look at this show, it's I there's a lot of things that are very good. Um, you, Josh, you're right. Fraser Wilson, who is Jack Dylan Grazer's character, is an annoying piece of shit. But he's a 14 year old boy. By definition, most 14 year old boys annoying pieces of shit. I was one. I definitely know I was. Um, and I think he plays the role terrifically. I think he's really, really good in the role. Um, I found the whomever, uh, Frederick Wenzel, who's the cinematographer, I love what he built with this show. Like, everything felt kind of antiseptic and like you could you couldn't almost touch it. It was everything felt sparse. Like, and that's shine of showing how Frazier had a, it, it's like kind of the hard time he's going to have like coming into this world because it it doesn't feel almost doesn't feel real almost feels like like you shouldn't be touching it like it's just like it's not what the better phrase is it's not welcoming and so i think there's some interesting things here it's also a very bold show to put on hbo because this is this is i mean hbo is known for bold shows but it's like we said it's something different that we've talked about in this podcast but it's also just a very it is Kind of like how Twin Peaks was David. What happens if we put David Lynch in an episodic series? Like his mind, like what would Luca Guadagnino's mind be like if we gave him an episodic series? And I think like there is there's some good stuff here. And I think it's also a little hard to judge the premiere episode, too, because it's like for me, at least, because I'm like, as I saw in the trailer and at the end of the episode, I'm like, oh, we're just getting to what this show is going to be like, what the the main action and what the main plot is going to be. And now we're moving on and now it's going to be another episode. So I, I felt like a little, it was hard for me to really say like, Oh, is it a really good series? You know, or not. I had a hard time with that. Um, I thought at times it was a bit over the top as well. I felt the whole, and Alex, I bet I probably, you probably love the scene, but I thought the whole scene between uh, Jack Dylan Grazer and Chloe Sevigny um, when they're in the kitchen was just kind of random. It was this random explosion of stuff that I just kind of stood there and I was like, I don't know how earned this moment feels. Um, are you guys hearing me okay, by the way? Yeah. Okay, I just keep hearing static. I apologize. Um, as a viewer... Yes, yeah. My other point was I couldn't wait for the episode to be over. And that's because it's not the type of show I normally gravitate towards. I had a hard time feeling sympathy for any of these characters because all these characters came off as unlikable at times. The character I liked the most was Alice Braga. She was the who plays Maggie Teixeira, who's uh, the wife of Sarah Wilson. Um, I found her to be the most interesting and I didn't get enough for her. Um, I had a hard time getting I just had a hard time getting into the characters. I thought it moved at a very glacial pace. I know he takes his time developing a story, but it just wasn't an overly show. I really enjoyed at all. Um, I appreciated a lot of it for its artistic merits, its acting merits, but as a piece of art for me to consume, enjoy in whatever shape or form, I did not enjoy the show. Yeah, um, I, well, I can appreciate that perspective. I definitely disagree. Um, I think that it's a fantastic show. It's like, obviously, it's only the first episode. Um, so we need to be, uh, you know, uh, 
hesitant before praising it too much, but I I thought it was fantastic. I really really love uh, Luca Guadagnino as a as a director. I love the way that he can create a sense of atmosphere and a sense of place. Uh, not just in Call Me By Your Name, which is one of my favorite films of all time, which he did direct, uh, but also in other films that he's done, like Suspiria, uh, which creates a very uh, menacing sense of place um, and atmosphere, um, and also uh, a bigger splash, which which really this this movie feels, uh, this TV show rather, is very evocative of a bigger splash in a lot of ways as well, um, which is a movie that if you guys uh, don't like this, maybe don't watch it, but it's a really good film uh, that I liked a lot with Tilda Swinton and uh, Ray Fiennes um, and Dakota Johnson. Uh, but yeah, I think that uh, it definitely moves at a, at a slow pace because this does not at least initially appear to be a show that is plot focused it's very character focused and the characters that it presents it presents it in media res so you're not it's not holding your hand and saying like this is who this person is and this is what their deal is it's really it has an incredibly observational um uh like tone and perspective uh which kind of matches uh the perspective of our main character who is extremely um observational almost to the point of viewer voyeurism to a certain degree um and he is also a very interior person, at least as he's presented in the film. The TV show really captures uh, that interiority in a way that I found very powerful and compelling. And therefore, it didn't feel slow at all, necessarily, because I felt like we were really inside of his head, um, trying to process the world around him the way that he is uh, trying to do in this kind of very bizarre sort of set of circumstances where all of these different impulses are kind of smashing into each other at once in, a, in an incredibly artificial sort of context, like you were saying, Bill. So I, I really, really liked what Jack Dylan Grazer was doing um, to present that. These are definitely challenging characters. I don't think that the Luca is very interested in trying to create a character who's likable or unlikable. I think he likes thorny characters that you really have to kind of dig into in order to understand what their deal is. Um, and I think that is really on display. I think that that kitchen scene is certainly a test for uh, for certain uh for certain audiences, but I do think that that's there to just, because it's easy to think when you get, you know, 20 minutes of what these people's lives are like to be like, oh, I'm, I'm getting a sense of who these people are. And a scene like that allow is really humbles the audience and says, oh no, there's actually like way more going on here. And we're only scratching the surface. And so for me, that's exciting because then it's like, well, where let's, let's watch and see where that goes. And like what that is kind of indicating what their relationship is, is very uh, complicated and messy in ways that I found exciting. Um, so in terms of like, did it earn it? It's like, well, that's kind of the point is that it's, it's it's a it's just a glimpse into a world if that was like the very end of a movie and that happened out of nowhere you'd be like well that felt unearned but in this case it's like we're just starting to get to know who these people are and that's kind of a wrench that they throw into things be like oh you think that it's one thing but actually maybe it's something different um or at least messier um and i I really i really like that that approach i see that but like i don't know it just to me felt i don't know i'll just say it felt so over the top it felt so, I don't know, so try hard for me. I was just like, like he slaps <laughs> her in the face. He's like, I hate you. And then she's like trying to like, like almost ner- like shove him back in the womb. And then he's just like, I hate your dancing. Dance with me. And it's just like invisible shield. I'm like, 
okay, guys, like, listen, I'm not stupid. I'm not a dumb person to watch this, but it just, like, I felt like this came out of so out of left field. And I get what you're saying, Alex. It's just like, this is, and I understand it comes from this explosion of just the tension in the room because they moved and there's like all these things happening. But I also felt like that tension really was just kind of like, not even built that much. It was just like, just like we're just going from scene to scene that all of a sudden, you know, he says, I didn't call her because she, and they're like Alice Braga and, and, and Frazier and Dylan, Dylan Grazer's character are like, Oh yeah, she doesn't really care that much. Then all of a sudden we get this scene, which is just so much happening. And you're like, it just didn't feel like it was even remotely set up. And if that's the way you tell stories, then you know what? Okay. That's on me then. But it's just like, I just felt like, give me a little something to set this up. Cause I don't need a lot. Just give me a little. And I didn't feel like that just kind of came that was just such an over the top scene. And, um, but I, I feel like there's a, there was a writer and I wish I knew who gave it credit. I could give it credit to. I saw had a great line about comparing this and euphoria saying euphoria depicted teenage as in a minefield in an active war zone. Whereas this is more of a shoegaze, shove your earbuds in and turn the volume up. And like you said, um, view from afar version, uh, view on teendom, which I thought was a, a very accurate. And I, I, I like, I appreciate that about the show, but it's just like, am I, am I going to go back to this show as a viewer? No. But if I know people who are into, into show, into call me by your name or into more introspective character based shows, I would definitely recommend this to them. It's just not, unfortunately, yeah, just I, not, not, it's just not for me. I, yeah, I, I think that, like, it, like the comparison between this and Euphoria is an interesting one. I think that this is just so much better than Euphoria because Euphoria is so maximalist about everything. And every single character is having the worst crisis that they could have possibly have. And it just is all so disaffected and over the top. Um, and I think that, uh, you know... It that has its merits, but it certainly became exhausting over the course of a season of TV. Um, I think this show is so much more relaxed and introspective, and and considered and um, just carefully constructed and, and beautifully rendered. And the filmmaking is so gorgeous and understated, and the music is so great. And the as you said, the cinematography is really good. And and I just I just loved everything that I was seeing. And and my biggest complaint is that honestly, I wish that. You know, sometimes HBO in the past has on occasion aired uh, two episodes of, of a show at a time, um, especially when it's sort of more of a mini series. And uh, I, I wish that they chose to do that for this show, because I think that it would have only benefited from getting a second hour in all at once, because I think that you're really just kind of wetting the appetite. And and it's not like a traditional show in any in any sense. It really is more like the first you know, this is sort of like the first 20 minutes of a, of a movie, um, more than anything else, um, extended out over an hour. Um, but none of that time felt wasted to me at all. I felt like it was constantly engaging. And I was just really with the Jack Dylan Grazer character the whole time and just like trying to figure him out as he tries to figure out the world was just a very exciting experience. And I also just really think that, uh, as I said earlier in our episode, Jordan Christine Simone, who is, uh, sort of an object of, of intrigue for Jack Dylan Grazer in the in the first episode, very very interesting vibe um, that she presented and an interesting character that is kind of we're just scratching the surface of um, at the end of that first episode and um, really excited to see what she does moving forward. I think that she really 
this is her first uh, credit of any kind. And, uh, you know, so far she really left a big impression on me. I'm very excited to see where that goes. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's great. Um, I'm sorry that you guys didn't like it. Uh, I think that, uh, uh, you should be a little bit more generous to it. Uh, but I understand that this is not everyone's cup of tea and it really won't be, it's not the sort of show that is going to be for everyone. It's certainly not a show that is worried about being entertaining or likable. And, um, if that's something that you want out of TV, um, that's certainly fair, but that's, that's not what this is. So well, I think that's <laughs> I my judge. problem with it because like I, I, I don't understand why you would watch something if it's not entertaining. And I, I have such a hard time with this because I know that, okay, I, we, we were all teenagers. Uh, I being, I sure I was an obnoxious teenager. I know I was an obnoxious teenager as all teenagers are um, to a degree. And I was and I, never an obnoxious teenager just for the record. What? But, Amazing. <laughs> you truly you live a blessed life. Um, well, that's, I, that I early, just, that's that early bedtime you had, man. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got you got your 15 hours in every day, so no need. you were never cranky. Uh, it's just, it, I think of this in compared to a movie like or to something like Lady Bird, which is also a coming of age story with I'd say a pretty irritating main character. But it something with Lady Bird is it's it's much more willing to critique and poke fun at. Yes, we know being a teenager is a ridiculous thing, and it, yes. this is this is such a, a weird time in everyone's life. And we're going to, you know, you're in on the joke because you've been through this. Um, she doesn't because she's still going through it. I feel like there's none of that. There's there's none of that heart that Ladybird has in this, and there's none of that um, knowingness that Ladybird has. Um, and obviously, you know, coming of age stories are a, a very wide genre, and they come in all shapes and sizes. But for for me, I I want it to be something that you know, is one entertaining and two is going to, you know, not just present characters as like puzzle boxes. Cause I think there's something to be said for that, but I just don't find that entertaining. I just find that just a, a homework. And I don't know, like, I know there's, I'm sure there's a lot to, to unpack in this show. And I'm sure that for those that do enjoy it, like it, it's going to be a, a good, um, process of, of seeing that I just don't have the patience for it yeah I mean I think that um, you know Greta Gerwig who wrote and directed Lady Bird um, is very good at finding ways to kind of uh, deploy humor um, and a and a wry self-awareness uh, to kind of like help the audience through um, some more difficult things and has as a result has a very like a complex kind of uh, tone to her stories that makes them great and I love her as a filmmaker and I'm very excited to see what she does next um I don't I think that's not the only way to tell a story though you know um and I think that what Luca is doing here is something that might not be entertaining but it is uh intellectually and emotionally stimulating in a way that certainly justifies its existence for me at least um you know you don't need to you know, some experiences in life aren't funny um, and you don't laugh through them and that's okay because then if you get past that you're allowed to access a, a deeper well of emotion when you're in, interacting with the art um, certainly you risk being overly serious uh, and kind of self-important if you go down that road too far but there's a balance to things and I don't know 
Uh, some of the stuff that Jack Dylan Grazer's character got up to in this episode made me laugh. Some of the situations uh, were funny to me. It wasn't just like a, a stone serious experience. He's like a, a little punk kid who doesn't know how to fit in this world. So there was, there was certainly um, funny situations, if not outright jokes that were happening. So I think there's more to it than that. But as I said, I understand it's, it's much more of an art film than a, than a than a like mass consumer sort of uh project and so that's not everybody's bag and that's okay yeah i'm like i'm fine with art films i've seen plenty in my day you know um i just felt like like i was saying before i felt like there was a and and i actually might have been right like maybe a two a two hour episode like two episodes back to back would have for me given me a more emotional connection to these characters because i think one of the most interesting characters was the Jordan Christ- Christine Simone character. Like, I wanted to know more about her. And by the time we got to her, the episode was over. And then when I saw on the trailer, I'm like, oh man, that's the character I wanted to know about. And I felt like, not even when I said likable before, I, get, I think I misspoke. I wanted to say, um, I wanted to have an emotional investment. And I don't feel like I was able to emotionally invest in any of the characters in this episode. Just because, I, like, I, I felt like at times it was. And maybe that was intentional. Maybe that was intentional that they wanted that uh, Fraser's character was going to push you away. That all these people, they were going to push you away because that's what they do. They push, they push people away from themselves. Um, but it just, I couldn't connect with these characters. I couldn't, like, I don't need, you know, like, I don't need you to be likable. I need to be able to care or be interested in this character. Whereas I felt like if I had to watch him dance around in the street to sometimes hearing his iPod music, I was going to be like, iPod music. Jeez, I sound old. Um, I was going to be like, okay, I get, I get the, I get the point. I know, I know what he's doing. Like, I don't need any more of these shots of him walking around in his pants, which I don't believe any teenager would wear. That was something <laughs> that someone in a new metal band who had a word tattooed on his stomach and like gauge earrings uh, would have worn, and he was the bass player. You know what I mean? Like, I don't believe he would wear those pants. I know he's supposed to be eccentric, but that was a little unbelievable for me, but that's just my own dumb mind. Is uh, But, like, there was something about it where I just could not sink my teeth into these characters. And you did. But for me, I just could. But I could, I, but I would definitely, like, people who love this type of film, I'd be like, you need to watch this show. This show is for you, man. So th- don't take my you know, like I didn't like it as a condemnation of the show. I was like, well, I'm talking to now podcast listeners. If this is your bag, you need to be on this show. Yeah, I completely agree. Like it definitely, it has a pace and it has a complexity and it has an atmosphere that if you've seen Luca's other works and like his other, those other films, you will like this. I feel confident in saying maybe not as much as me, but I do think that you'll like that. And if you're not into that sort of thing, then you're not going to be into this. It just, that's the end of the, it's the end of the, like, that's the bottom line, unfortunately. It's, and that's kind of what makes me so excited that it exists because that's just not, even for television, which has sure. become much more transgressive and much more uh, willing to take risks and, and open up uh, different sorts of, you know, uh, storytelling avenues, it's still pretty rare to get a show that's this kind of, like, not mainstream and not looking to be, uh, 
to, to be, as we said, like entertaining in a way. It's not, it's not looking for the audience to, uh, it's not trying to convince the audience to stick around. It's saying like, look, I'm creating this thing and, and you're going to be in or you're going to be out, but we're doing this. And I think that that's really cool. Like it's, it's honestly, um, it's similar in some ways to like the, the young Pope, uh, which aired a couple of years ago, um, on HBO as well. Um, by, um, uh, an Italian filmmaker as well, <laughs> uh, starring Jude Law. Um, that has like a little bit more of an absurdism streak to it. Uh, so I guess maybe there's a little bit more for people, but that it also is like very challenging and very much not what you would typically see on American television. So I, I like that HBO is kind of fostering this this atmosphere of like taking risks and letting auteurs tell their stories. Um, and you know if we can watch if that means. Uh, an opportunity to spend a couple hours on an idyllic uh, Italian uh, coastal town um, with a queer family and uh, and uh, some queer char- young characters uh, mixed in. I'm like totally there for that and very excited. Uh, so yeah, listen, I get I'll, it. T- I'll take the, I'll everybody. take I'll take this show being in existence than another procedural for sure. Like we need <laughs> we need more shows to be take risks and be creative. Maybe yeah, it's like, not I mean, for me, but just... I'd rather have the art out there than just, you know, hackneyed bullshit for sure. I mean, the way I said it is not very elegant, but you know what I'm saying, I'm trying to say. No, I, I get it. And I mean, you know, we uh, like we on the site, we reviewed Perry Mason and we talked about that. But, and you know, that has its merits, but that kind of feels like it has like it's one foot in one world and one foot in the other. And it's trying mm-hmm. to be like, well, we could be arty and interesting and also a procedural and kind of appeal to everybody and kind of ended up appealing to not as much of everybody as it wanted to at the very least and i would much rather see hbo take more chances like this where it's just like no we're gonna we're gonna fully commit to this thing and and people are gonna get on board or they're not gonna get on board but there's enough people out there who are gonna like it so why not so and a fun casting fact uh, the girl who plays the woman i should say who plays Brittany, who is the first person to kind of befriend uh, our, our our lead character is the daughter of martin scorsese Oh. oh, wow. Really? Francesca Gar- Scorsese, born in uh, 1999, daughter of Martin and Helen Morris Scorsese. Because I kept looking and wow. I, I saw it on IMDb. I'm like, oh, that's got to be like, that's got to be really because Scorsese's not like, you know, it's not Smith. You know, so I was like, and there you go. So got some acting royalty in there. <laughs> well, so see, at least stick around for that. Um, Josh, do you want to give the final thought on the segment? I mean, just just not for me. I mean, if it's if it's for you, you know, go for it. Um, but it's a it's going to be a divisive one, and you know that's okay. <laughs> it is okay, and also, I, like, just I want to say, like, Jack Dylan Grazer did a great job in as like a sidekick, memorable sidekicks in a couple of very mainstream studio films. Uh, and and he was great and he really popped and I wasn't sure how he would be in this setting and I think he was really excellent I think mm-hmm. that he really showed that he can be a serious actor and kind of like command the screen in a way um, that is extremely understated and not at all what he's doing in those other roles that kind of made a name for him where he's kind of this like fast talking uh, kid who's always like making a like whose like panicked existence is always funny and you know like it's he was kind of a motor mouth on both of those roles and to go from that to this which is so much more like naturalistic and grounded and quiet and interior and I think he does like a really really good job um it's hard to be like literally the center of the screen um for the extended periods of time like that and and 
pull that off. And, you know, I think he did. Um, you guys seem to have been less interested in it, but no, I think he, I think he did a good, I think he did a really good job. I just think there were certain times where I was just like, I felt like, like I said, there were certain moments where I like, uh, we disagree on the kitchen scene, but no, like this is a guy who's known for just being comedy. He's comic relief. And he pulled off something that a lot of people his age probably couldn't and probably made and made a move by being in this series that probably a lot of people wouldn't have made. You'd stay in your comfort zone, be that sidekick kid and keep cashing those checks. But he went and did this and one probably extended his career for a number of years. And I thought he, I thought he did a really good job. There was just some scenes that, that just didn't work for me, but I thought overall he definitely, he definitely nailed it. The one character I I wish we had saw more of was Kid Cuddy, Scott Muscuddy. He plays uh, uh, Jordan, uh, Christine Simeon's father. He's in it for like a hot second, but he's, he's made a nice name for himself in some pretty good movies recently. So. Besides being a yeah, I'm sure we'll get. I have a feeling we'll get more of him in the coming episodes. <laughs> um, are you? I mean, I, it sounds like uh, I usually like to end uh, asking you guys if you're going to stick with it. Um, it sounds like Josh, hard no. Uh, Bill, are you going to give it a second episode? I might. I honestly might. Um, you know, it's going to be. It's going to be. Uh, I might d- DVR to catch it on Max. Um, because Monday is I record a podcast, so I'm, I'm not watching live outside of yesterday because we needed to do it for this episode. But um, I might give it one more sh- um, one more episode to see if it plays out uh, more of how I, I you know I was hoping it would play out, especially with giving the Caitlyn character um, more hopefully more uh, more work to do. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, I will definitely be checking in with you guys uh, next month on how the series ended. I have a feeling. Um, in the meantime, Josh, where can we find more of your work on Pop Drink and elsewhere? Uh, yeah, uh, people can find me on Twitter at Josh Cernacki, Um, when I remember to post. Uh, otherwise, you can find me on thepopbreak.com. Um, I have some uh, stuff coming up with my uh, couch potato column um working on that i know alex you and i talked about that so hopefully that'll be coming out soon um and yeah also had a recent uh five-year anniversary podcast for the series finale of hannibal that i recorded with my brother for our anniversary brothers podcast so very excited uh, to read that or listen to that uh, glad to hear it sir yeah i i'd say uh (laughs) if you enjoyed hannibal uh definitely give it a listen uh have some some strong thoughts on it in the finale so uh and yeah and aaron and i are also working up some plans for some more podcasts in the future so stay tuned to this podcast feed yeah that's that episode's really fun um i love the stuff that you guys do with that uh and uh, I, I don't know, it's funny to me that you guys liked uh, Hannibal and don't like this show because there's a lot of overlap in my mind. Um, but <laughs> anyway, Bill, uh, what did you what did you uh, what did you want to plug this month? Well, um, you know, it, every Friday, uh, myself and Al Manorino, we host the Socially Distanced podcast. That is, uh, you find us on Apple t- Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Anchor, Socially Distanced Um uh, I am also, obviously, besides this podcast, you know, check out Pop Break TV, which is on these same uh, channels, Apple, Spotify, Google, and Anchor. Give us a give us a review. Give us a like. Give us a follow. That'd be great. Uh, check out thepopbreak.com every single day. We got great stuff on TV, music, movies, uh, comic books, pro wrestling, video games. We're going to start a new video game come on every Friday coming up, which is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, 
We are at popbreak.com, all spelled out on Twitter, forward slash popbreak.com, all spelled out on Facebook and at the popbreak on Instagram. Um, as for me, um, yeah, I've always got something cooking. So a couple things in the works. Um, when they pop up, I'll let you guys know. Probably by the next podcast, I'll have I'll have a couple projects uh, cooking. So there's that. It's good because uh, you know if there's anything you don't have enough of, it's projects. Uh, so I'm glad you're finally stepping up your game and well, picking up yeah. a few things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What a la- I'm a lazy bastard, you know. Um, <laughs> you know, I just. I, you know, I, and I'm actually disappointed. I, I wanted to write a little bit more, but you know, work a full-time site, father, virtual kindergarten has been uh, has been a joy. Uh, luckily, I've she, my daughter's been crushing it, so I've had a little stress off my back. But you know, a huge thank you to you, Alex. Um, as I've said before on this podcast, I think um, unfortunately, you know, you just started being TV editor this year, and you got thrown into hey. We're not going to have any movies and barely any music content this year. So can you, like, carry the site? And you have more than done that, my friend. So thank you so much uh, for doing that and, and getting a lot of great, diverse TV content, opening up horizons for a lot of people. Myself, I probably never would have watched this show uh, had you not, uh, rec- you know, said, hey, let's do it for the podcast. So, uh, And it's definitely better than the Eddie. So, I mean, hey, man. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, it is. It is better than the Eddie. So it, at least it's that. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, you've done a great job and you should take a lot of pride in that. Well, thank and, you very much. Thank you. Uh, something else that I take pride in is uh, that you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Media Thinkings. And you can check out my film podcast, Cinema Joes, which has been quiet for a little while. We've been kind of slowly uh, banking episodes that will be rolling out over the course of the fall, which I'm very excited about. We decided to, since the world of film is so chaotic, uh, we decided to take a look back at um, uh, some of the best films of the past with a lot of our past and future friends of the show, including Bill and Josh, who both came on and talked about their favorite film. Uh, so yeah, look out for those episodes. They're going to be slowly rolling out over the course of the fall. I'm very excited about that project. Um, and then also for uh, Pop Break, you can um, follow my other show that's on this channel called Goodbye to All That, which uh, focuses on um, the series and season finales of some of our favorite shows. I uh, have some fun guests lined up. I don't want to announce just yet, but I'm very excited for the next couple episodes that we should be doing. So stay tuned for that. Also on the channel, in addition to my work and Josh's work, uh, you can watch, uh, you can listen rather to a uh, Live, Laugh, and Lovey, uh, which is our uh, po- twice-a-week podcast hosted by Lovey McPherson. Uh, previous episodes have uh, done weekly coverage for shows like Greenleaf and Married at First Sight Australia and Married at First Sight New Orleans. Uh, they're going to be starting up uh, new episodes about Power Book 2 Ghost, uh, which will be their new uh, drama series that they're going to be covering weekly, in addition to wrapping up the Married at First Sight franchises uh, for the fall. So definitely everybody should check that out. Those ladies have a lot of fun on that podcast and uh, it's really cool, relaxed vibes. So you should check that out as well. Um, yeah, so that's that's everything. Uh, thanks everybody for uh, tuning in to this uh, extra long episode of the podcast. And uh, uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again next month. Bye guys. <laughs>